If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a one-time or reoccurring donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate tab in the menu. Donations made to Mayflower's Communications Fund are tax-deductible and help ensure that this podcast is available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City by the Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, senior minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie. Good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational United Church of Christ where no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, I will be confident one thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in the Lord's temple. For the Lord will hide me in the Lord's shelter in the day of trouble. The Lord will conceal me under the cover of the Lord's tent. The Lord will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in the Lord's tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek the Lord's face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger you who have been my help do not cast me off do not forsake me O god of my salvation 
If my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Do not give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they are breathing out violence. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Let us bow our heads together. It's rare, Holy One, that another state out headlines Oklahoma in matters of homophobia, but Florida is really trying it. No classroom discussion about sexual orientation or gender identity allowed, as if talking about those things will make a kindergartner gay, as if being gay is bad. Maybe those legislators would prefer us to start using the word beloved instead of gay. We could also use wanted, normal, precious, treasured, or whole. Or perhaps we'll just use the same word you did to describe us in the beginning, good. Oh, yes, you're right. You actually described us as very good. So while we're fighting this, Holy One, we ask that you be a hedge of protection around all those very good queer kids in Florida and here and everywhere. We pray in the name of Jesus, who insisted the children not be hindered. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. At that very hour, Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. He said to them, Go and tell that fox for me. Listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. Yet today, tomorrow, and the next day I must be on my way because it is impossible for a prophet to be killed outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often have I desired to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. See, your house is left to you, and I tell you, you will not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is the one 
who comes in the name of the Lord. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Okay, we've got to get our, our, our bearings in this text. We need to do this because Jesus is on the move and has been for quite some time in the Gospel of Luke. We are the ones catching up. All the way back in chapter 9, verse 51, Luke tells us that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, which might give the impression that from that moment on, there will be no pausing, no relaxing, no tolerated interruptions. The path has been chosen, the die cast, and every step will be towards the cross. However, within these chapters, nine to where we are, Jesus will visit friends, be a frequent guest in homes, and do much of his teaching around the dinner table. Jesus won't actually make it to Jerusalem until chapter 19. This is the definition of a sustained narrative. And of course, as you have likely guessed, what Luke is really doing is using a travel motif to tell us the story of Jesus. We catch up with Jesus right after he delivers a stinging sermon that was wildly political. You'll recognize it, the one that ends, indeed, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. This is the kind of prophecy that Jesus grew up eating for breakfast. Remember the words of his mother's Magnificat, the Lord has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. This was not good news for those who were currently on their, on their thrones or those who were currently in first, which is, of course, why Herod wanted to kill Jesus. And that's where we pick up. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. The here of the Pharisees' warning, get away from here, seems to indicate that Jesus was entering the proximity of Herod's reach, where Herod's murderous intent becomes an actual threat. What is clear is that there is a space where one can be on Herod's enemy list, but out of his crosshairs, and apparently Jesus is now in range. There is a lot of controversy in biblical commentaries over whether or not the Pharisees were friends or foes of Jesus in this passage. It may not have occurred to many of us that we should wonder about the motives of the Pharisees because we grew up singing that vacation Bible song, you know the one, I don't wanna be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee, cause they're not fair, you see. I don't want to be a Pharisee. Indeed, many of the stories in the gospel seem to pit the Pharisees against Jesus. And Jesus even pronounces woes on them. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe all kinds and yet neglect justice and the love of God. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. 
Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love to have the seat of honor in the synagogues and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, but woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without realizing it. Luke even tells us that at one point, the Pharisees began lying in wait for Jesus to catch him in something he might say. All of which is to say that to suspect the Pharisees are not friends of Jesus in this passage is not unreasonable. But, notes Jeremy Williams, outside of the New Testament, writers like Josephus positively portray the Pharisees. And even in the New Testament, although not in the Gospels, the Apostle Paul continues to claim his identity as a Pharisee in the book of Acts saying not, I was a Pharisee, but rather, I am a Pharisee. And the Pharisees in our story did try to warn Jesus that he was in trouble, so maybe they aren't the absolute worst. In short, scholar Alan Culpepper writes, on one hand, nothing prepares the reader to expect that the Pharisees were concerned about Jesus' safety, on the other hand, nothing in the description of the Pharisees' warning allows us to believe that they were acting in concert with Herod, or that they hoped to convince Jesus to leave Galilee so that they might more easily entrap him in Jerusalem. The text itself doesn't speculate on the motives of the Pharisees, although Jesus gets a little salty with them. Go and tell that fox, he says. And this characterization using an animal isn't surprising. The Bible consistently depicts evil as dangerous and predatory, nothing one can flirt with without risking one's life. In Genesis, Satan is a serpent and sin lurks at the door. In 1 Peter, the devil prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. In Matthew, the wolf snatches God's sheep. In the book of Revelation, evil is like a plague of locusts or scorpions from a bottomless pit, and the devil is like a great red dragon with seven horns and seven heads and ten horns that seeks to devour the children of God. So, Jesus called Herod a fox. But this isn't simply about aligning Jesus' words with biblical tradition. He's letting the Pharisees and Herod know that he is not politically naive. Reverend Melissa Flora Bixler explains that several writings from around the same period as Luke's gospel gives us a better idea of the force of the insult that Jesus casts on Herod. Epictetus' Discourses contains a description of the various animals that occupy ancient Roman society. Some of us incline to become like wolves, faithless and treacherous and mischievous. Some like lions, savage and untamed. But the greater part of us become foxes and other worse animals. For what else is a slanderer and a malignant man than a fox or some other more wretched and meaner animal. Operating within this cultural context, Jesus groups Herod with the despicable fox. 
We also discover something of Herod's character in the Mishnah, a collection of Jewish stories and teachings from the first century. In one story, rabbis discuss a recent governmental ban on gathering to study the Bible. When one rabbi asks another rabbi if he isn't afraid of disobeying the command, the second responds with this story. Once, a fox was walking along the riverbank and saw a fish in the water swimming from one place to another. And the fox said to the fish, from what are you fleeing? The fish replied, the nets of men. The fox then suggested, well, why not come out of the water to live with me? To this, the fish said, aren't you the one they call the cleverest of animals? If we live now in a place that causes fear, how much more in the element in which we would die? It is at this point that the sermon usually veers towards naming modern-day Herods and Pharisees. I've heard that sermon. I've preached that sermon. It's, and I have names ready. It's quite possibly the easiest plug-and-play sermon to write. But as I prepared, I kept coming back to those commentary debates about whether or not the Pharisees were trying to help or hurt Jesus. And at some point it occurred to me that it didn't matter to Jesus. Or rather, it's not that it didn't matter, it's just that either way, he was going to keep going. And isn't that a word in a world that can turn upside down because of a tweet 140 characters long? Listen, Jesus started. And I imagine Jesus had his eyebrows raised at this point. Listen. And honestly, I'm a little excited to hear what he's going to say next. I mean, he's going to crush these Pharisees and Herod, right? But he says instead, listen, I am casting out demons and performing cures today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my work. And if we're honest, we're a little disappointed with this reply. Jesus just tells the Pharisees and Herod that he is resolved to do the work he is called to do. I'd really just rather him say that He's going to turn into an animal that can defeat a fox, a wolf, a bear, or whatever the Middle Eastern equivalent is to a coyote, because I didn't look it up. But instead, Jesus chooses the image of a chicken. This is just not as dignified as we want it to be. Chicken is what we find sitting on styrofoam, shrink-wrapped in plastic in the meat department at the grocery store. I mean, if Jesus wanted to go with a bird theme, he could have at least gone with a bird of prey, like an eagle. I did look that up. Eagles do eat foxes. Plus, it would be biblical. The image of God as an eagle or as a description of divine strength is found throughout the Bible. Jesus could have so very easily used scripture to shut down both the Pharisees and Herod. And those of us who were raised doing sword drills are frustrated that Jesus isn't out Bibling these jokers. 
Maybe Jesus needed a Dennis Rodman, someone to get a little rough with these guys, and if that's the case, put us in, coach. We're ready to play. I'm quite sure Jesus could have more than held his own here, but he just isn't the kind of guy who uses scripture as a weapon. And that's just the point here, isn't it? Jesus does what we so often do not. In the face of threats and bullying, he is neither intimidated nor deterred. He does not betray his commitment to peace and nonviolence. He does not change his work and ministry just because someone is threatened by his work and ministry. He does not talk trash about the people who are talking trash about him. The point wasn't to beat the Pharisees. The point wasn't to put Herod in his place. The point was to disrupt the empire of Rome with the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to lift up the lowly, to let the oppressed go free. This is who we hear him speaking of when Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Jesus will not give up on Jerusalem. He is headed to where people need him the most. Jesus has a track record for this. You'll remember when Levi, the tax collector, gave a great banquet for Jesus, which was attended by many members of the Internal Revenue Service of Judea. The Pharisees and their scribes complained to the disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus doesn't use the Pharisees or Herod as an excuse to become violent or respond in any way that isn't true to his work and mission. He doesn't retreat or return threat with threat, but keeps his gaze on the city of Jerusalem, the city that stoned the prophets, the city that houses the temple, the city to which Jesus had turned his face towards way back in chapter 9 in order to gather God's children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. What a tender image and utterly unexpected given our own experience with what happens when someone threatens us. Perhaps this is because we actually like the idea of cowboy Jesus, rough and tumble, quick on the draw, but as theologian Debbie Blue writes, if we look at Jesus with the idea that looking at him will tell us what God is like, then we see that it isn't about showing us how great God is. According to Jesus, God's essential being is not power, but love. Imagine God as a hen with her wings over her babies. This is not the same as a God who is a concrete bunker or a dude with a sword who will overthrow by force. There is some fragility in this image of a hen. Maybe there's something crucial about that 
which we lose when we imagine it's all in the hands of an almighty God instead of under the wings of a chicken. To take this story seriously is to begin reframing our responses to the world in ways that reflect that we follow a teacher who kept his face turn, turned towards those he needed to serve, who refused to trade barbs, who didn't return evil for evil, didn't threaten upon being threatened, didn't puff himself up. We follow someone who refused to let his heart be hardened. No posturing, no power grabbing, no diminishing others to make ourselves great. So let us do the work we are called to do, whether we are surrounded by friends or foes, whether or not someone tries to bully us out of it or not. Let us keep our faces turned towards love. May it be so. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Dr. Lori Walkie, Senior Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church in Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at www.mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 10 a.m. with Sunday school classes for all ages at 9 a.m. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street in Oklahoma City, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.